Jess, Trey, Amy, Quinn, Ray, Leah, Maddie, Ray, Lily, Charlie, Faye, M, Bryce, Daniela, Elena, Marshall. Hey everyone, it's Ash and Liz, and you're talking with my puzzle pieces. Round two. Round two. We had a, a dog snafu. And, and it's unfortunate because we were saying all sorts of useful things. That was great. Mm -hmm. That was great. You you were a delight, sweetie. I am. So I we're, just have a nap for this, you know? For the talking? Yes. Yes, you do like to talk. I do. That's, that's, that's true. And yet when I first met you, you were a quiet, shy little thing. It's true. He used to, like, be afraid to, like, be really, you know, all of the, the vulnerable crap. Um, that was my dog laying against the window. Yep. Um, and he used to go run away and hide on the inside. And now you just can't shut up. It's, it's a blessing and a curse, you know. <laughs> okay, so tonight we thought we would follow up our episode from, well, it was yesterday here, but earlier this week for y'all. Yes. Um, and talk a little bit about roles in the system. So we shared about terms, and so now hopefully you'll be able to follow when we use some of those phrases or if you're learning about DID in another, in another setting. And kind of in line with that, we want to share some of the common roles that you might discover either in your system or the system of someone you know. That's not to say every system has every role or that every role is experienced the same within and across systems, because it's definitely not. But there are some commonalities that you often see. Yeah, some common types of personalities mm -hmm. that people develop. Yeah, and you can fit into more than one role. So you can be somebody who has a couple different roles. Like I think of like Jess has a couple of roles. Yeah. Um, and there's for sure some other people that fit in more than one box. So don't feel like you just have to like put yourself in a box and stay there. So that's not how, well, it's not how anybody should do, but it's definitely not how people with DIT do. So there's something else I was going to say about it. I don't know what it was. So we'll just maybe dive right in. All right. All right. So the first type of role that we were talking about in our first version of this was a protector. So a protector is someone who protects, uh, hence the name. And they can protect in a variety of different ways. So how someone's protecting is not necessarily the, t the same. So Trey, you said some good words about this last time. You want to give it a go again? Yes. So I think like I identified mostly as a protector and I did that in a couple different ways. I stayed connected to our faith and helped us um, kind of feel that hope in our system. Mm -hmm. um, I did some keeping an eye on people internally when they maybe couldn't be kind to themselves to make sure that they were safe and that they were, you know, not popping out and doing something too crazy. Not popping out and doing something super unsafe or that they weren't doing something unsafe on the inside exactly. Just trying to monitor that a little bit. Mm -hmm. um, and then... Um, being out and kind of doing the day-to-day -day living and trying to be present as much as I could um, so that they didn't have to deal with, because they were dealing with some very specific trauma that was happening to us. And so I tried to deal with kind of the other types of trauma or the just day-to-day -day struggles so that hopefully they wouldn't have to. And try to like do some placating or some like situation management too, to try to do the best you could to avoid the system being in a situation where um, where people girls would have to get hurt yes so that's one and just way in general supporting them mm -hmm. i guess like being a support to them and yep yeah being um, like their comforter mm -hmm. and like being with them in the the really bad moments like even if you couldn't fix it like you did a lot of just like being present with people yeah or knowing like when something bad was going to happen being able to be ready when they came in and kind of be that support and try to protect them as much as I could from the bad effects of the badness. Yeah. So that's like, that's a couple different ways to protect. Um, another way to protect is by being a jerk face um, and pushing people away. And so to some extent, Bray used to do that for you guys. Yeah. And this isn't like smack talking her. She will openly admit mm -hmm. that she did this. Um, that she did. She pushed people away, people that she thought might hurt us or that would be unsafe so that... Or that had hurt you and she yeah. was like, you're not going to hurt these people I love again. Yeah, and so she would push them away. And sometimes if she thought people on the inside 
were struggling, she might kind of bully them a little bit. And then, like, she was trying to do it in a loving way. She just didn't know the best way to do it. Yeah, and she and I had a little bit of conflict about that in the beginning when she was trying to, I later learned, trying to help Maddie be safe, but was not doing it in a way that felt good to Maddie. Yes. And I was like, you got to knock it off. Like, you can't be mean to your people. Like, these are your people. Um, and now I have a better understanding of what was going on there. Yeah. Um, and in my experience, so in general, in my experience, when there's a piece that, that is presenting as particularly difficult to connect with or like hostile, often it's because they're trying to protect someone or something or themselves. And so that's how they're coming across. Um, so like we had a patient recently um, that my team or people at, at my clinic were working with, and this person was trying to push us away, like actively trying to push us away because they didn't trust us. And so that resulted in them calling all of the staff names and really creative, um, like below the belt kind of names for a lot of them. And then also he picked one staff that anytime she would open her mouth, he would be like, why are you talking? I didn't give you permission to talk, stop talking. And so like that was him being a jerk with the intention of making us like mad and like not care. I had another patient who um, threw something at me because a part was testing me. Essentially, they were testing to see if I would be safe mm -hmm. around some of their more vulnerable parts. And you, you also had one who uh, was going to cut off your fingers. Oh, I forgot about that one. Mm -hmm. Yep, I did have someone come in, um, come out and tell me that they were going to... Oh, let's see if I can remember. Cut off or break? They were going to um, break my... Cut off my fingers at the knuckles and then peel my skin back so I could see them. And then they were going to gouge out my eyes with a spoon, I think. It was very descriptive. Um, and they didn't love my response because I was supposed to be scared. And I was like, well, I'd, I'd rather we didn't do that. And that was like as upset as I got about it because I, I knew there was not a real threat from this person and that this was them uh, protecting their system in a slightly unpleasant and not very, like, healthy way. way about it. Yes. Um, and so, like, that was... So I guess as a therapist, if a protective part comes out and they are being hostile, um, while you still need to be really aware of safety, and especially if you don't know the system well or whatever, like you don't, you want to take threats seriously, and you also not want to you don't want to not overreact. So mm -hmm. like if I would have like gotten super upset, then that would have damaged that relationship. So I knew I was in a safe situation. I was closer to the door. I was definitely bigger, stronger, faster than this patient. Um, there were people with an earshot if they would somehow attack me. So like I had my safety system and I also recognized it for what it was, which was um, not actually someone who truly wanted to hurt me, but someone who was really scared and scared for their system. So protectors can present in different ways and try to recognize some of the like underlying motivation or try to help them understand that underlying motivation so they can move forward. And so they can figure out a way to better communicate mm -hmm. and a way to better protect because they should be able to be connected to the rest of the system. And if they're protecting by being rude or like hurtful or threatening, they don't have an internal support and that's not helpful for them. And so helping them to figure out who can we be a little bit vulnerable with so mm -hmm. that you can start understanding other ways to protect. Anything else you want to say? Oh, I the hiccups about protectors. I don't think so. I think that's... Mm -hmm. um, so then creator. So this is somebody who has the power to create on the inside. And I think most people have the power to do some creative change. Mm -hmm. But yes. in most systems, in my experience, it seems like there's one or a few people who are more primary in that role. Yeah, I think everyone can do it to like a certain extent, especially with their own appearance. Mm -hmm. uh, but there's definitely people who have a bigger ability to create things on a larger scale. So like for you guys, Faye is one of those. Yep, Faye is a big creator and um, Lily. Mm -hmm. So they are kind of your go-tos in terms of like if you need something. Mm -hmm. um, you need your bedroom to become a bedroom or you need a pet or you need some other like significant change in the environment. Yes. On the inside. And... Um, I think that sort of learning who who has those abilities in your system and helping to figure out ways that, that you guys can work together so that 
they're not like taking on all of the because i often see creators that then end up taking on a lot more responsibility than maybe is healthy for them mm -hmm. because people are leaning on them so much to create to solve a problem versus finding other ways to solve it i think that definitely happens so working on that like working on the healthy boundary of like how does the creator set limits on what they're capable of in a moment um, how do they use their power for good and not for evil i had um, in one system, a creative part that would sometimes set other people on fire. Or set things on fire, which you can recreate, but I think it can still be damaging to relationships. Yeah, it wasn't great for, for her relationships. Um, and, like, the people sometimes deserved it, but it's still not nice. Don't do it. Um, so helping them to figure out, like, the healthy way to use their power and to find balance and not take on more than they, they can. And it's a really, really important, really cool role. Um, I would love to be able to create things. I want to just decide that something is and then have it be. How big ass is that? People definitely have fun with it and definitely enjoy that freedom. Mm -hmm. And it's, it's so nice that there are less rules on the inside because I think it gives the opportunity for healing in ways that you just wouldn't have on the outside. Like Faye would not have a dragon out here no because well as far as we know there are no dragons yes which is very sad for her it is. and she has this ability to do that and to have this comfort and support from something that and sense of safety yeah that you can't really have yeah the same way yeah we could get her like a dog like a mm -hmm. big dog but i mean like there's no way I, we were going to get her a dragon out yeah, here that that um, wasn't going to be a thing so thankfully like, she has the ability, Lily has the ability, there's the, the option to have a dragon on the inside and to be able to get her needs met that way. Um, so she can kind of understand them better and potentially get them met in other ways mm -hmm. that are, you know, more um, practical for life out here in the world. Yeah, and I think her knowing she has that safety on the inside allows her to be out more mm -hmm. and to explore things out here because she has a safe place to go. And so that really works in her favor and has helped her grow. And I think for a lot of people, the concept of having like your own room or your own space in some way on the inside, um, both with you guys and with other people I've worked with has been really freeing. Mm -hmm. um, and we need the creators to help with that because most people don't necessarily have the intrinsic ability, especially in the beginning to do that. Mm -hmm. um, and it's been, I mean, I know with, with other systems I've worked with, it's just been really cool to watch the comfort level and the confidence increase as they develop their own space and were able to make choices for themselves on the inside. I don't know what that was like for you guys, but... Yeah, when everyone finally had their own rooms and a place, they could go when they needed space or when they needed solitude or... I mean, it just... It opened up so many things. And to have... The individual things they needed to cope and to mm -hmm. feel better mm -hmm. that it just gives you a lot of options and in the ability to experiment in a way that like yes you could gradually accumulate different things to try to use to cope on the outside but on the inside they can just appear and then you can figure out what works for you and then translate some of that to the outside down the road yeah it's it's definitely a quicker process mm -hmm. so creators are are wonderful and important and i'm a lot jealous of you creators out there in the world. If you can figure out how to translate your powers out here, um, please teach me. That'd be the coolest. I'm, I'm pretty sure Faye would. She, I'm pretty sure she would. would create a dragon. I'm fairly She would, and then she would teach me how to make things because yes. she loves me. So um, that is the thing. It is. So stay tuned if we ever figure that out because there'll be a dragon flying around. And then you'll know. You will know. <laughs> you'll know that we did it. Um, so anyway, that's a creator. Uh, let's see, this is on my list. So sometimes a term that you hear is host. And I don't love it because it sounds a little bit like there's a parasite involved. <laughs> right? Like, oh, this is the host. Like, yeah. The host to what exactly? What weird Well, it makes it sound response. like something else has taken over, which isn't how it is. Right. For the record. <laughs> so when you hear host, what is, like, what is, the, what do you, that mean to you? Words are hard. We don't have one. Okay. That's how we would see it. Um, it's not a term that we use or that we would identify with because 
we see ourselves as like this collective whole that works together. We don't see it as one person. I don't know. We just see it differently, I guess. So I think sometimes host is used to refer to the person who identifies with the name of the body and is like outest mm-hmm. a lot. So I guess like theoretically like Aaliyah mm-hmm. kind of character when she was Ash and didn't know would have yeah. maybe been sort of a host figure. Someone who like I guess presents as the body's identity most of the time but isn't not the body collectively presenting like someone who presents as the body specifically. And sometimes, like, in some systems, that works really well, that they have sort of that identified person who sort of takes the leadership for the body in terms of decision-making and being out and sort of identifies as the more, I don't know, present or or more, like, original yeah. sometimes parts. Kind of been around longer, mm-hmm. I guess. Um, a way to see it? I don't know. Yeah, like, I personally don't love the term because of the whole, like, parasite thing. And also because I feel like it doesn't inspire equality exactly yeah. in the system. And that's not to say every part should have the same responsibilities or the same role in decision-making or whatever, but they should all be equally important yeah. as as people, as parts of the whole. Um, and I just, so I like, I don't know, I just don't love the phrase, but you might hear it. And that's kind of what it means if you do hear it. And if you feel like that term works for your system, God bless. Um, I just, it doesn't work for everybody. Uh, But you know, maybe it works for one of you and you can explain it to me in a way that I'll be like, yeah, Mm -hmm. absolutely. I totally get it in that context. So that's a host, um, internal self helper. You want to, you want to go with that one? I guess um, that would have been kind of like our Emma or our Chris or Quinn a little bit. Mm-hmm. Someone who kind of manages things on the inside and keeps a watch on things and kind of dictates a little bit how things are running, I guess, mm-hmm. and is often has a lot of information about the system. Yeah, and can communicate that to the system, or a lot of times they're the people who work with the therapist. Um, or who are responsible for communicating information to the therapist when the system isn't sure what's been going on. Mm -hmm. Um, They kind of have, like, this running knowledge of what's going on on the inside and kind of what's happened on the outside Yep, to keep things running smoothly. Yeah, so while they might communicate a lot with the therapist, they're not necessarily in therapy. Yeah, like the one who's being therapied, exactly. It's more of, like, sharing information so that the therapist can work effectively with whoever needs that help in the system. Or if like a client comes in and they're like, yeah, I have no idea what happened the last three days, being able to have sort of an internal self-helper who can pass along that information either via the person who's out or uh, like speak directly to the therapist and be like, well, actually we did this, this, and this the last three days and you should probably talk to this person because these things happened. Mm-hmm. Um, so they're, they're sort of like, a little bit like a spy, kind of, a little. Yeah. Um, but, like, in the best way possible. Kind of like a know-it-all. Yeah, because they can, but they can, like, share things that need to be shared, um, even if sometimes the person who maybe should share them is a little bit resistant to to doing that. And I will say, like, for me, with you guys when we were meeting um, Big M, and, like, you guys were getting to know her as a human, and I was getting to talk to her, she was super helpful for me because I felt like I could ask her some of the questions that would have maybe been really triggering to ask other people Mm -hmm. and that she could talk about it a little bit less emotionally and give me some information or some guidance on your guys's history and what people might need that would have been harder to ask somebody who was more like emotionally in some of those situations Mm -hmm. so they're they're really useful creatures um and i like i like them and i have found that most systems that i've worked with have something like this not i can think of one that i one system i worked with that i had not found a person like this and that doesn't mean one didn't exist but they definitely had not come out and said hello to me yeah and i often they take a little longer because they're kind of assessing the situation and when it's safe to come out and share information so a lot of times they exist and they're just not ready mm-hmm well, and I think of too, like with M, like they don't want to necessarily form outside relationships because it might interfere with their ability to do their internal stuff. Mm-hmm. And so that sometimes can be like a barrier to them 
doing more than just sharing information about others. Mm -hmm. All right, let's see what's next. A persecutor. We do not have one of these. I do like that. Um, but I have heard they're fairly common. Mm -hmm. And so this is often a part that has sort of taken on some of the characteristics of the abuser um, and are sort of taking that out on other people. Yeah. And sometimes, sometimes it is like persecutor mixed up in protector. Mm -hmm. um, and like they see the only way to protect as to be like powerful and intimidate to get people to do what they want. Um, and I've like, I've definitely had parts in systems that were like telling the rest of the system to kill themselves because they thought that was like the only way to keep them from being abused again. Mm -hmm. um, so sometimes these two get kind of muddled together. Yeah. And it, sometimes it's too like, if the system doesn't know what to do with like negative thoughts mm -hmm. or doesn't know how to handle the abuser, um, they will kind of take those characteristics and put it in a person as a way to process and manage that for themselves, but in a safe way because it's not something they can process with the actual abuser. Mm -hmm. Or sometimes, oh, I lost my train of thought. Hang on. Oh, like sometimes they identify with some things that the abuser is like saying or doing, like they have some similar feelings or some similar thoughts. And that's really scary because they see this abuser as like a bad person. So if you can put all of your thoughts and feelings that are similar to the abuser into one person and then label that person as bad. Now you don't have to own any of that and you don't have to deal with like figuring out how can I have some of these same thoughts and feelings and not act or be the same as this person who's hurting me. So it can be a way to like sort of simplify things for the purpose of coping. And it's not super useful in the long run. I was trying to think, um, I had a patient who had, I do think that they were in some ways a protector, but it was a part that would um, scream at some of the child parts to kill themselves. And it was super, super disruptive and upsetting for those child parts. And when the persecutor met the child parts and the child parts were able to express like what, what this person was doing to them, um, they were sort of able to see how their choices and the way they were expressing things was affecting other people and make some really big changes. And it was really beautiful um, because everyone was sort of open to like seeing the good in this person who kind of seems like a dick. Um, and this person was open to like growing to find a different way that made people feel more safe to share their thoughts. So they're not bad people. Um, they're not a part that you need to like kill or silence. Yeah. I don't want people to think like, Oh, we're talking about this. And now if you have one of those that's bad or you should get rid of them or, um, for a piece that's listening, it, it's just a role that sometimes people take on and it's just figuring out, how you fit that into your system and what that means. And who you want to be as, like, if you are a persecutor, you're recognizing that in yourself. Like, you don't have to be that person. You, if you can understand your motivation for the things you're doing, you can find other ways to do that. Um, that allows you to have relationships with other people or to be more kind or, or whatever. Um, and it's okay. And it's okay to be vulnerable enough to find someone in the system to say, like, I know the way I come across. And I, I want to change how I'm being seen because I, I don't like it and I want to have relationships. And that's like, it's okay. It's a really okay thing. And if you're not there yet and you are just going to continue living the way you know that like, that's okay too as you grow. I read a book once um, about how the system had a persecutor and they couldn't figure out how to deal with them. So they literally like turned them to stone internally. They like froze them. And they would like, there was like in some common area in the inside and they would just like walk past this like stone statue that was this person that was trapped. And it broke my heart. Please don't freeze your people. Yeah. Um, there's a reason that they're doing anything they're doing. And understanding that is huge. Yeah, I think under, like everyone in a system is created for some kind of reason. And it's just figuring that out and figuring out how that is going to work for you. Mm-hmm. And recognizing that just because the way a role was carried out when you were created isn't necessarily the way it's meant to be created out, created out, geez, carried out forever. And that you can grow in your understanding of your role. And there's some people who would say that that's wrong. 
and that you shouldn't encourage people to grow and develop as carts, but you should just be focusing on integration. And my personal feeling on that is like, if I was going to integrate with someone else, I wouldn't want to integrate with someone I didn't know well, that I didn't understand, and that didn't know and understand themselves. So how can we ask two people who don't really know themselves or each other to even consider squishing together into one person? It doesn't make logical sense to me. Yeah, I, I think it's really up to the system. And I think someone who doesn't know your system and doesn't know your history to come in and tell you what you do or don't have to do, like, no. Well, even someone who does, like, I know you guys pretty well, but I would never presume to say, like, okay, so um, Trey and Charlie, you guys need to integrate by this time next month. And then, um, you know, Leah and Jess, you guys are pretty connected in a lot of ways, so you guys need to be integrated by, you know, six months from now. And, like, the hell? Yeah. I don't, nobody, I mean, people can help you and help you figure out what you want, but nobody has the right to tell you what your system should or shouldn't do. As long as you're being safe. And honest. Yep. Like, but I will tell people, like, you probably shouldn't kill yourself because that's not great. Or, like, you need to think before you, like, do any significant, like, self-harm that's going to damage your whole body and have consequences for your whole body. But, like, in terms of, like, integration or how you're growing, like, that, that's not my business to tell anyone. And it, whether they have DID or not. Like, I don't get to tell you how you grow. I get to help you figure that out. So that's my little side tangent there. We have a lot of those lately, it seems. So I think it's it's an important one to point out. Mm -hmm. I agree. And I think we pointed it out before, and we'll keep pointing it out. So get, get it's used just to it. something that's becoming more common in the literature to address, but it is something that people have disagreed about mm -hmm. so I, I think in that context it's important to continue to point out and have conversations about i agree the next one on my list is a sexual altar um so this is generally an altar that holds the sexual like drive or the ability to experience pleasure in some way from sex um and often they're viewed as like bad because often sex has been sort of a bad thing or a dirty thing or a forbidden taboo thing. Um, and sometimes they do things that the rest of the system might not have chosen or agreed with in terms of sexual choices. Yes. And they're just trying to manage something for the whole system that they're, that has been just sort of all put onto them. Yeah. And understand something that maybe has never been like, probably if you've had a sexual abuse history, um, and you haven't had a lot of treatment, you've never had a healthy relationship with sex in your body because how could you? And so this altar tends to hold that. Yes. And I don't think you guys exactly have any of those. Not really. I would say we have some people that are maybe more sexual than other people, but we don't have someone that that's like the sole thing that they do. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I'd say you have some parts that are more comfortable, like with the idea of sex or talking about sex or even having sex, but yeah. it's not like you're going out and like soliciting or having one night stands at the bar or anything. We're not. Nope. Um, which I appreciate you not bringing strange men home. That You're welcome. Makes me happy. Mm -hmm. We tried to not to do that. That's good. So far, you've been successful, and I'm really proud of you. I do think I've been pretty successful. I have you to are, say. Yes. So anyway, okay. Next is a suicidal altar. So this, so lots of altars can be suicidal. Um, and, but this is more than that exactly. This is someone who tends to like siphon off or hold the suicidal urges for a lot of the system. Yeah. Like almost all of them basically. Um, and some systems like, um, names are hard sometimes. Olga, Olga Trujillo. Mm -hmm. Um, she talks in her book about having altars whose sort of sole purpose it was, was to kill the body. So if, like Olga stumbled too close to something she wasn't supposed to know before the system felt like she was ready to know it. Um, there were parts who like, that was their job mm -hmm. was to like self-destruct essentially. Um, so that can be a thing too, not just holding the emotions, but like responsible for like pulling the self-destruct button. Basically responsible for safety through suicide. Mm -hmm. 
So I think you guys have, um, like, I think Ray and Maddie maybe that it hold some of those, like, suicide, self-harm kind of things. They hold the majority of them. Yeah, not to say other people say, don't have it. Unlike some systems, that's not their sole role. No, or that's, They don't hold it for everyone. Other mm-hmm. people still have a little bit of that. But that has been a bigger piece for them than mm-hmm. other people. And then you have, like, Shades who helped manage some of that, too. Yeah. Okay, so then the next one is a homicidal altar. So I feel like this kind of fits in with, like, sort of some of the, like, persecutor abuser kind of stuff. But this is someone who's, like, real pissed off um, and maybe wants to hurt or kill the person who abused them, typically. Not necessarily, but that's what I kind of think of when I think of, like, a homicidal altar in general. Yeah. And not to... Um... say that every like I think this is something that has been picked up in movies yeah and is overdone and people assume that everyone who has people is a crazo pants mm-hmm. and that's rude don't do that it is and even the people who do have a homicidal part are not bad people they're people who's got a part that's real pissed off and wants to protect and defend in a way that makes sense based on their history, their experience, their perceptions. So even these homicidal parts are not bad. They just need to learn other ways to Mm -hmm. be protective or to express those feelings so that the system can stay safe. And despite the fact that it's like one part, if someone in your system loses their shit, like you are all responsible for that outcome. So like I have a book, um, it's called The Minds of Billy it's Milligan. It's Milligan or Mulligan. But it is about someone who had DID and had a part who killed someone. And the whole system had to go to prison because that happened. And yes. that part was no longer safe to be around people. Exactly. exactly. That can happen. Yep. And it sucks. Um, it sucks a lot for the other parts in the system. And please don't assume that that is going to happen. I think when I um, first like told some people I know about Ash having people, that was one of their responses. It's like, well, are your kids safe? Like, what if, you know, what if they do this or what if they do that? And like, yes, theoretically, but also theoretically, any human you could meet, you meet off the street could be crazy pants and do something unsafe. So I don't really think that people with DID are any more likely to hurt others. And I, I haven't done the research on this, but I don't think they are, especially any more likely than other people who have trauma, you know, or um, you can have... A relative who's not a safe human. Mm-hmm. So it's rude to assume mm-hmm. that someone with um, DID is going to be that person. Agreed. It's not nice. It's not nice. For the record. It is not. Um, so if you have a part that is homicidal, that is that pissed off, that part is not bad. You can love them. And let's love them by helping them and helping them find ways to be safe. And that might mean that they aren't allowed out for a period of time. And that's not the same thing as, like, locking them up forever, but it might mean, and the same is true with the suicidal altars. Mm-hmm. Uh, it might mean you have to stay in until you've figured out how to stay safe because it's in the best interest of the entire system for you to do that. Um, and that's that's reasonable to ask that of someone. Mm-hmm. Um, and you still need to, like, have empathy for them because they're a part of you, even if they feel like a butt face. And sometimes they might be about face, and that's just is what it is. And we all are sometimes. Um, so then the next one on my list is animal or non-human altars. And I think this is one that people sort of struggle with accepting. Um, the idea that, like, you have a dog or a monkey or an inanimate object inside of you or an alien or, um, I don't know if this is on my list elsewhere, but, like, a mythical creature. And... They're still actually people. They're still actually a part of a human being. Like, you don't literally have a monkey soul floating around in your brain. What you have is a part who needed to define themselves as a monkey or as a dog or as a whatever to meet the needs of the system at that time. Do you have thoughts on that, my dear? I don't. I do think this is one people have a harder time Mm -hmm. with. And it's just to meet the needs of the system. It's whatever. So, like, on the inside, Faye has a dragon. So, theoretically, 
we could have created Faye as a dragon to mm -hmm. be like a protective piece because mm -hmm. she needed that. Um, yeah. Or I've had parts that had a dog because that humans didn't feel like a safe place to get affection. And the system desperately needed affection. So they created a dog to be on the inside. And the dog was primarily on the inside. They didn't come out a lot. Um, but the dog served the role of being a safe person to give and receive affection. And it was presented as a dog because that was the only way that system felt like they could safely have that. Um, so it, it doesn't make them any more crazy than if they had anything else. It's just a different way of conceptualizing the needs of the system. And those, like, you can't go get a real dog necessarily, right? Like, I mean, you can. It, it's also well, just it's not the same. If it's you're not, a helpless child and yeah, you're always or, in, you can. Or And I think, like, it's about part of your system being able to receive love. Mm -hmm. Which getting a dog maybe helps you give love, but it's, mm -hmm. it's different than, like, you yourself receiving love. Yeah, I agree. All right. Um, a caretaker. So I, I feel like that's pretty self-explanatory. It can be someone who caretakes internally for the system, or it can be someone whose role it is to caretake externally. So sometimes this presents as a mother figure or as um, a medical professional in some way, or um, just just anyone, I guess, who caretakes. Mm -hmm. Often, and often when we think caretaker, we think of it like to their own detriment, right? So like caretaking more than is necessarily healthy for them or potentially for the system. Yeah, it's not that they are like kind of like a mom and they help, but they still theoretically do some self-care. Um, it's someone who is not able to help the system in the way that they want and still take care of themselves. Mm -hmm. And so often I think this caretaker role blurs in with other roles, in with like internal self-helper, in with protector, in with um, creator. And mm -hmm. so it's, that's my experience, I guess, is that it's more often a blend of that and another role. It doesn't mean it has to be though. Yeah. All right. Next on our list. Oh, demonic or evil. Ooh. So I have had part people who felt like one of their parts was a demon or was evil. Now this is different than um, people who it's part of their religion to believe in possession in some form. Um, and that that's the experience that they're having. Now, they may, you may have a patient who believes in possession who also has a demonic part. So it can be hard to tease out, but this isn't something that occurs only in the context of a religious experience. This is their experience of their inner reality. I don't know if I said that well. Yes, I think you did. It's, yeah, it's not the same as someone having a demon inside of them. Although they may feel that way. They may. And it can, and my, my thought on where it often comes from is like you were told that you're evil. You were told that like you're doing Satan's work. You were told that there was something intrinsically wrong about you. And all of those thoughts and feelings had to go somewhere. And so where they often went is into a part that is, that like identifies as that thing you've been told your whole life you are. Or wonder if you are or whatever. Yes. Um, so that's kind of the thought there. And just like any other less pleasant part, they have a reason for existing. And you can best serve your system by trying to understand that reason versus like just like trying to deny their existence or shut them out or label them as like a bad part. Yes. I don't really think there are any bad parts or good parts. There are just parts who are expressing their needs in healthy or unhealthy ways. Okay, um, we're getting there, you guys. Robot or non-emotional? So that's how um, Big M presented it first. Yes. And she was not as robotic as she wanted us to think she was, but there can be parts that are genuinely, like, they don't experience emotion. Yeah. And that's fine. Yeah, I mean, it, it's really whatever works for your system, so. Mm -hmm. And if you want to, if you're one of those parts and you want to stay that way, cool. If you're one of those parts who wants to have, and you want to develop a more well-rounded emotional and like human experience, then you definitely have the ability to grow into that and to learn more about that. Um, but there can be parts that present that way for sure. Yes. The next one is um, spirit, ghost, or supernatural. So I think that kind of is really similar to that demon thing. Um, it's not solely as a part of your religion, but also a part of your inner experience. Yes. 
and usually the result of some sort of a belief system that felt the need to have those feelings or thoughts labeled in that way. Anything else you want to say about that one? No, I feel like that's pretty, I don't know. Okay. Um, so disabled in some way. So this might be the part that is blind or mute or something else. Um, mute is one that I, I feel like is more common in, in my personal experience, not necessarily in the world, I don't know. Mm -hmm. um, but like you guys had some parts that didn't or couldn't speak initially. Yes. Um, I mean, and even parts that still don't much, really don't very much, yeah. And so for you guys, some of that was that those people had sort of been told like, you're not allowed to talk or it's not safe to talk. Yeah. Or like explicitly said like, you can't talk about these things that are happening. So the solution was just not to talk at all. It was just safer. Mm -hmm. like it was safer not to. And so I think sort of in general, what I would say about those parts is like, please don't try to force them to talk. Either you inner other people or like you as a therapist or a friend or a support. Like if they choose to talk, they will. But you mm -hmm. like demanding that they speak is not, it's not going to help. It, it's really not. It's going to make them feel more more vulnerable and scared and like they're not safe mm -hmm. and I think maybe it was Maddie that talked about how for her it really just helped that she was allowed to be out and be silent and then like but was like filled in on what was going on mm -hmm. and asked like do you need anything and then if the answer was no like she was allowed to just exist in silence and that was okay um, and so I think that seems like that was more helpful for you than anyone trying to, like, help you figure out how to talk. Yeah, that was huge, huge in being comfortable enough to actually start saying words. Mm -hmm. And then I think for some parts, like Charlie, Charlie needed to develop that comfort, and then he needed a little bit of a kick in the pants of, like, I believe in you, you can do this, because we knew he wanted to talk but was scared. Mm -hmm. And so he needed that encouragement once he was once he reached that point whereas like i don't think maddie did i think maddie came to it a little bit more naturally mm -hmm. i would agree so again like super individualized to each part each system and each part um a gatekeeper so this was a little bit quinn right yes when you want to talk about that at all uh, i was thinking he's not very um no, I did, um, I kind of watched and tried to help with who, you know, was where, when, and what that would look like, and how we would manage who would go out, and what they would do, and how much was shared, how much was shared, and kind of watching them pass in and out, and what was shared about when they were where, and all that jolly good fun. So Gatekeeper sort of regulates both the flow of information and also, like, the shifting of parts, I think, and has some say in, like, who's out and why and what's going on internally and externally. Yes. And I think often it's a pretty lonely job because it's a lot of responsibility and not something you can really talk about with other people, even if they know you exist. Like, it's still just the house. Yeah, it's just not... I don't know, you just don't, because it's, it's, can't really, mm -hmm. well, and then there's a lot of guilt with, like, having made decisions, and were they the right well, ones, yeah, and all did, those horrible did things. Did you, did you not, could I have done something better, all of that mess. Yes. Yep. So those are gatekeepers, and then, um, the last one we have is an insider. So this is, I, I've never used this term, uh, it feels icky and weird. Um, and, like, maybe they have some, like, magic secret that the rest of us don't have. <laughs> like, they're in the cool side. Right, exactly. Uh, but the idea is someone who spends most of their time inside. Yes. So in your system, that would be? Um, we have quite a few, I guess. Um, I think pretty, like, Marshall, mm -hmm. Elena, Daniela, they don't really spend a lot of time out. So that's... Mm -hmm. And it used to be you, but now you're out more. I am. Um, M. Big M, mm -hmm. and little M actually, isn't out a ton. Yeah. Uh-oh. My computer went to sleep. It's still... Oh, good. It's still recording. We're fine. Um, yeah, so it's just someone who maybe at one point was out more um, when, like, their role was, like, actively needed in and a different then, way. Yeah, they're just, they either isn't a need or they don't feel ready, and so they're just not as much. 
Yeah, and that's totally okay. Like, if, like, say, Marshall never wants to spend much time out, like, that's fine. He now knows that he has the ability and the, like, the safety to mm-hmm. come out if he chooses to. Um, and and occasionally, like, we'll ask to talk to him to check in on him, or I think you guys check in on stuff internally. Yeah. But he doesn't ever have to be out unless he chooses to. And now it's mm-hmm. safe. He can be out and be safe. But he doesn't have to. And that's, that's where it's really important, is he can. Mm-hmm. And so I do think, like, a little bit of nudging for people to, like, I don't know, work towards being in a place where they're willing to try being out just to have that experience of, like, oh, we are safe now. Mm-hmm. But then not to pressure them to, like, hang out, out. But just enough for them to at least, like, look out and see the difference in the world, even if they're not, like, coming out, out. Yes. Does that make sense? I think it does. Um, insiders, too, like, the first time they come out um, can often be really disoriented. So I've, like, had kids who, like, were confused about what year it was, how old the body was. Um, I had one poor, poor child who didn't really fully understand that they were living. It was a boy, and they didn't really fully understand they were living in a female body. And the last time they had been out, the body had been, it hadn't hit puberty yet. And so, you know, like little girl bodies and little boys' bodies are much more similar at that point. Mm -hmm. Um, And so it was a really, it was quite the thing for this child to come out and be like, I have breasts. What the hell is happening? Mm -hmm. Uh, And I, I have really, I do really enjoy that piece of my job, being able to like be there and those like what the hell moments with people and like give them a little bit of reassurance and comfort and like, nope, I understand why this would really mess with your head. And And giving them just some explanation Mm -hmm. of what's going on. Because I think there aren't many people that are willing to explain that to them or that they would feel comfortable asking. So Mm -hmm. then they're just stuck with this confusing thing they don't know what to do with. Mm -hmm. Well, and like sometimes like boy parts who don't know what puberty is, they don't know what it's like, what, what it means to have a period. So they come out and the body's bleeding. And, like, oh, my gosh, terror, right? So being able to have them feel comfortable being, like, what is happening to me? And and you being comfortable enough to talk about that with them. I know a lot of people, even therapists, who, like, really struggle to talk about, like, sex and puberty and and those sorts of things with other people or clients. And, like, I think it's important. Those are important conversations. And I think especially with anyone with an abuse history, for them to have the, the safety to ask a question and just get a super factual answer. Um, I explained to a patient today about what a pap smear was because no one in their life would tell them and they were 18 and should know. Um, so like those kinds of things, like if you're talking to working with somebody who has DID, like as comfortable as you can be for them to ask you questions and to just give them information. Like you don't have to pass judgment on any of it. Just like, this is what this is. It's, it's really helpful. It's really helpful from personally, we can say it's so helpful to have someone to go to. I <laughs> Jasper, we're almost done. Hey, come here. Jasper, come here. Hi. I know we had never gotten a gynecological exam and there was really no one we felt like we could talk to and it was really terrifying and really scary and we didn't know if we were safe and to have you to go to was huge. Mm-hmm. I mean, I don't think, I don't know if we ever would have gone. Well, and I actually came with you and you just like stood up by your head because I didn't need to see that. Um, and held your hand and made sure that you felt safe and helped you tell the doctor, like, hey, we have trauma. Yeah, like, here's what you should probably know. And it, it made a world of difference. Mm-hmm. And you didn't have to say we have people. No. Just letting her know, like, you have sexual trauma and, like, I might need a break. Or can you just, like, make sure you're really explaining what happens before you do it. Just lay down. Um, it's yeah. important. So that's all of the roles we had on our list. Now, that does not mean we hit every role in the... It's not an exhaustive list. There are many different, many different ones. There are. And depending on what you read, some people are a little judgy about roles. A little bit. Um, I, you guys, I bought this book. And I bought it knowing it was going to be bad. But I had I had to know how bad. Um, and it was this woman, and it was from, like, the 80s or something. So back before there was as much understanding but who was writing about DID from what she calls a Christian perspective. And I. Basically all people who have DID have demons. We're just, you're just all demon possessed. And especially if you have like a demonic part or a persecutor or an angry part for sure demon. Um, And 
it was it was it was very very bad so be careful if you search up like roles or or some of those things be careful that you're looking at a source that feels reputable yes yeah, scholarly um, articles look for the right things and ultimately reach out to a therapist or you know we've posted several different resources um, a lot of them have resource pages um, people you can email to ask questions so please reach out or reach and out to us and clarification if, we can, if you're if we not can sure. point you a direction we absolutely will or tell you our feelings on a question um, neither of us are scholarly researchers and I, I read all of the articles about this I can get my hands on um, which sometimes is hard because I don't have access to every journal but we I want to know what I can hopefully know. point you in the right direction mm -hmm. absolutely so I think this got long again. It, it we were did. gonna we're not do that, and we just happened. we did. It just was a lot. It was we a lot saved to more say. on topic though. We did. Look, so you guys were sorry for the one earlier this week. I haven't listened to it, and I'm a little I'm a little afraid, afraid to, to, to be honest, yeah. because I think that's what Trey was out a lot, and I have to tell you, friends, he's a slightly distracted human. He actually, when I was talking about that episode, he was like, "I only said like a couple of the things that were in my head. I could have said so many other off-topic things. You should be proud of me." And it was like, "Yes, I'm." I am, and we did, it was rambly. So before Jasper loses his mind, we're going to say goodbye. And you can, Jasper. Jasper's saying goodbye too. Oh, you guys, there's a person. There's a person walking by across the street on the sidewalk. How dare they? Hey, Jasper. Jasper come here. Come here. Come here. I'll go pet him while you say the thing. All right. So she's going to attempt to quiet the beast. And I will say, please reach out to us with questions. We'd love to hear from you. Um, my puzzle pieces podcast at gmail.com. And hopefully this was helpful and we can point you in the right direction if you have questions. So we hope you all have a good week. Um, Memorial Day is coming up. I hope you all have an extended weekend and can relax and enjoy yourselves. Bye, everybody. Bye. I have to